good morning. Take your Bibles, turn with me this morning, Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 6 in a moment. I should warn you, I have two messages this morning. One is a mini message, and one is the regular message, so hold on. I thought it necessary this morning to respond in light of the unprecedented legal decisions that were made this week by the United States Supreme Court regarding the redefinition of marriage. Two important and troubling decisions concerning Proposition 8 and the Defense of Marriage Act In their decision, it was obviously a move away from God's plan for marriage. It's a fundamental shift in the structure of the family and the way our government looks at marriage. So what should our response as believers be? We may start with anger. Anger at the decision that has been made, but we obviously have to move past anger and sadness and back to a full confidence in the truth of the gospel. As one man has said, even though truth has stumbled in the streets, we must not lose heart even in the face of the loss of this skirmish. God's victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ will never be invalidated by any court of man. So we need to keep in mind that truth and Let me just give you a couple of things, actually there are four of them, that I believe ought to be our response. First of all, as I said, I think we need to grieve. We as a nation have grieved the heart of God to step away from his plan and to do what is right in the eyes of some of the American people. The second thing I think should be our response is is prayer. Prayer for God to forgive us and to grant that our nation and our leaders would turn to God and accept his authority. We really need to begin uh, taking in earnest the need to intercede for our country. The third thing is to participate. Participate in the political process. We need to vote when our country faces election, our state. We need to support God's plan, and we need to support those who have the same kind of agenda as we do. It may be that God may have uh, a plan for you to run in the political process, as some have done in our family here, and if that's where God leads you, I think that's a good thing. And fourth, we need to be careful and humble and repentant ourselves. While God's word unequivocally teaches that homosexuality is a sin, it is one of many sins. And that we know that we are all sinners and stand in need of forgiveness and grace ourselves. I'm going to have more to say about homosexuality tonight because we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and we'll look at that a little bit further. But judgment needs to begin in the house of God. I believe he is more concerned with the sins of his people. 
of the sins that we allow in our lives. And so <clears throat> here are some things that we can do. This is my pulpit. This is the pulpit that God has given me. But he's given each of you a pulpit, a pulpit at your place of work, a place, your school, among your friends and your family. So what should come from your pulpit this week? Well, remember, we are called to be salt and light in a dark world. And so first, you need to speak the truth in love, in meekness and gentleness, not in arrogance and harshness for those who are struggling with sin. Second, you need to remember to continue to tell them that Jesus saves, that sin destroys lives, but God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Third, we need to make sure that every sinner, every person we meet, knows that they don't have to live or die in their sins. There is hope of forgiveness and abundant life that never ends. And fourth, you ought to remember <clears throat> and expect to become un more unpopular as time goes by. True biblical Christianity has never been about winning popularity contests or even being in the majority. You realize that our belief in the biblical view of marriage is being made fun of and vilified uh, by those in the news and entertainment industries right now. It will probably get worse as the days grow darker. We are being made out to be an enemy, the enemy. We are the intolerant ones. We are those who are capable of hate speech. We need to make sure that we don't give them any ammunition. That we are not hateful in our approach. That doesn't mean that we have to change what we believe. But remember that God is faithful, God is sovereign, and he will bring about his plan. And there is nothing that the power of darkness can do to change it or to stop it. We just need to be about his business, about his way, and watch how he will work in us and through us. That being said, take your Bibles, look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. Harry Ironside served for almost 20 years as the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. He was also a traveling evangelist, and he traveled a great deal. He was traveling one day, and he dropped in on a Sunday school class. The unprepared teacher asked how the Old Testament saints were saved, and somebody answered, by keeping the law. The teacher said, correct. Ironside raised his hand and said, uh, but Romans 3.28 says it's not by the law. The teacher responded, oh, that's right, sorry. Uh, so how were the Old Testament saints saved? And someone else answered, by making sacrifices. And again, the teacher answered, correct. Dr. Ironside raised his hand again and said, uh, Hebrews says that uh, the blood of bulls and lambs and goats is not sufficient. Finally, the teacher said, oh, yeah? 
well, why don't you just tell us how they were saved? And so he did, the same way we are today, by faith. I think that story captures a popular misconception, even among Christians today, that somehow there is a plan A and a plan B in God's plans. Plan A was in the Old Testament, the law of Moses. But when mankind proved himself incapable of keeping the law, God had to come up with a new plan, and that new plan was plan B. Plan B was that God sent his only son to die on the cross as payment for man's sin. That, of course, is not true. God has and always has had one plan of salvation. God's plan in every age is by grace, through faith, apart from human effort. The Old Testament saints were saved in the same way as you and I. It has always been by grace. It has always been through faith. It has always been apart from human effort. In the first five verses of this chapter, the Apostle Paul has established what justification by God means. Now let's remember what that big theological term really means. Justification means being able to stand before God and hear the words, not guilty. Not guilty. Paul says that man will never be justified in the presence of God by his works, anything that he can do, whether that's keeping the law of Moses or keeping the Ten Commandments, we are not going to be able to be justified in God's sight by works. Neither are we going to be able to be justified by a ritual, whether that ritual is circumcision, as being discussed here in Galatians chapter 3, or baptism or any other ritual that you might like to pick. So in verse 6, he begins to talk about someone who is very important to these false teachers from Jerusalem, Abraham. Now, Abraham is a key figure in three of the world's great religions. He is the ancestor of the Jews through his son Isaac. Muslims regard him as their ancestor, through his son Ishmael. And Christians, we regard him as our spiritual father through Christ, as we'll see in Galatians 3 and 29. But to the Jews, belonging to God meant being a descendant of Abraham, a literal, physical descendant of Abraham. When the Jews wanted to prove to Jesus that they were the children of God, they were arguing with him in John chapter 8. When they wanted to prove that they were really the children of God, they said, we are the offspring of Abraham. Abraham is our father. So by this reasoning, 
if a Gentile wanted to become a child of God, he had to become a spiritual child of Abraham. And according to the Judaizers, the false teachers, the real way to do that was to keep the law and to be circumcised. Now, the Judaizers doubtlessly had used Abraham as an example. They used him as a convincing proof that circumcision was necessary to please God and to become acceptable to him. Now, let's think about Abraham and who he is. If we look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, we see the call of Abraham. While Abraham is still a pagan in the Ur of Chaldee, the Lord promised him, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham and his descendants were later commanded to be circumcised as a sign of God's covenant and a constant reminder and illustration of the need for spiritual cleansing. This comes in Genesis 17 and verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, when Paul brought up Abraham as his example, it would have been a complete surprise to his opponents who believed that Abraham proved their point. Now, I want you to see with me three things about Abraham this morning. First of all, the faith of Abraham. Central to the importance of Abraham are the promises that I've mentioned that God made to him. God calls Abraham while he's still a pagan in a pagan land, and he promises him a land of his own. Genesis 12, 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And then God promises him to make him into a mighty nation and to make his name great. Abraham was immediate in his obedience, and he went as the Lord had told him. Now, in a short and concise biographical summary of this period of Abraham's life, we find it in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 8 through 10. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham left his home, and he journeyed by faith to the promised land. Sometime later, some years later, God came to Abraham again with another promise, that he would provide for him an heir, a son. Frankly, that's not going to be very easy to believe, 
In the past, God has, provide, has promised that he'll give him a land, but he's still not received it. And now he promises him an, him an heir, but Abraham doesn't have any children. And he and his wife are not getting any younger. In fact, Abraham himself is pushing 100 years old at this point. So to show Abraham what he had in mind, God took Abraham outside. We find the story in Genesis 15 and verse 6. In effect, God said to Abraham, Abraham, you see these stars? He says, you can't count these stars. And neither are you going to be able to count your offspring. And what Abraham's response to that was, it says, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. This quotation from Genesis 15, 6 is one of the clearest in the Bible about the truth of the salvation by grace through faith. In the original Hebrew, it is a very expressive phrase. Literally, it says that Abraham said amen. God said, I'm going to do it. And Abraham said amen. I believe it. Now look when they, first of all, Abraham saved by faith. Verse 6 of chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This verse is a quote from Genesis 15, 6 that we just read concerning the faith of Abraham. This verse is so important that it's quoted again in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul uses him as an example in both Romans and in Galatians as an example of faith. It cannot be said that Abraham was justified by the law because the Mosaic law was not given until 430 years after this. Neither can it be said that he was justified by circumcision because he has not yet been circumcised. God has not given the commandment of circumcision. In fact, it was not given until almost 14 years later. Circumcision was the badge and evidence of Abraham's faith, just as baptism is the badge and the evidence of our faith. But neither circumcision or baptism can save in fact, they make no contribution to salvation. They are simply outward evidences of an inward work. It says that Abraham believed God. But we need to note <clears throat> that it's not that Abraham just believed in God. Many People in our day speak of believing in God. By that, they mean they believe that there is a God who exists. Instead, it was that Abraham believed God. There are those who believe in God in the sense that they believe he exists, but they're only as spiritual as the demons. Because James chapter 2 and verse 19 says... You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that and tremble. When it says that Abraham believed, of course it means more than 
he accepted what God said as true, although it is that, of course. It means that he trusted God. Against all hope, beyond all doubt, Abraham committed himself and his whole life to God. Scripture says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that he, he had promised was also able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Note also that it was credited to him for righteousness. As a result of his faith, says Abraham believed God. Because of that, God accounted. The Greek word can be translated several ways, counted or credited. Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness. Now that's a word most of us understand, credited. I don't have much cash on me. In fact, I don't carry much cash. I do, however, carry a credit card. I can go out after church today knowing that I don't have enough money to buy lunch. But yet I can buy lunch because I have a credit card that I can hand to them after the meal and they will accept it knowing that there is a bank somewhere that will pay them the amount credited by this card. Now to use the proper theological term, it is imputed, imputed righteousness to Abraham. This is possession, positional righteousness, not practical righteousness. It does not mean that Abraham was righteous, only that God had declared him righteous. God is the only one who has the right to state whether an individual is right, righteous, or unrighteous. And God declared him righteous because of his faith. But he didn't always live up to that righteousness. Righteous in a practical sense. No. Bible tells us that he got impatient, waiting for a son, at the suggestion of his wife and, and the temptation of his own flesh, he took Hagar, his wife's maid, and fathered Ishmael, the father of Islam. And then he, he treated Hagar shamefully, and he lied about his wife Sarah, not once, but twice. All of this was after God had already declared him righteous. Faith was before circumcision. We're told that Abraham was justified in Genesis 15, but he was not circumcised until Genesis 17, at least 14 years later. And the law was given to Moses some 430 years later. Faith was before the law. Abraham was saved by faith while still a Gentile before the law and before he was circumcised. 
The second thing that I want you to note with me is the descendants of Abraham. It says in verse 7, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. It opens with the two words, therefore, no. And the word no is an imperative. We know that means that it is a command. Paul is making a very important point, and he wants every one of his readers to understand it. This was a rebuke to those Jewish Christians who were trying to bring Gentile Christians under the law. As Jews, they believed they were superior because they were the descendants of of Abraham, and they observed the law. Paul says that the most important link to Abraham was not a link of genetics, not a link of works, but a link of faith. Spiritual descent is more important than physical descent. Paul addressed that same issue in his epistle to the Romans where he wrote in verse Chapter 2 and verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but of God, from God. Thus, there are physical descendants of Abraham who are not spiritual descendants of Abraham because they do not believe the gospel. And there are Gentiles who are true spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham because they do believe the gospel. Yet they are not his physical descendants. You know, when our children sing that little song, Father Abraham... They really are expressing the truth. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. But it's the same way today. When people believe God accepts them because they come from a Christian family. Some people today still imagine that salvation is somehow inherited. My mother and my father were Christians. My grandfather and my grandmother were Christians. That the children then are automatically saved. But this, of course, is not true. It has been said, and it is true, God has no grandchildren. God only has children. Now, sadly, some Christians have taken this that we have just studied and they misapply this truth. It's been done all down through the centuries. This has been a verse that many claim in support of what is called replacement theology. Some call it supersessionism. You say, well, what does that mean? It is the belief that somehow God is finished with the nation of Israel and that we as Christians have taken their place, and that all the promises that belong to Israel somehow now belong to the church. However, Romans chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and verse 25, refute those who insist that God is forever done with Israel, and that the church is the new Israel. God is not yet through with Israel, and there is a coming day in which he will once again work among his people in Israel. There's a third and final thing this morning, and that's the blessing 
through Abraham. I have a most unusual phrase here. The gospel was preached to Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. It's a pretty amazing phrase. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand. It says that that happened in that God told him, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now this obviously comes from God's call to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. But in what sense then is that the gospel? Paul observes that even back in Abraham's day, it was clear that the blessing of righteousness by faith was intended for all nations. It was not intended to be exclusive to the Jews. In fact, they were intended to be his missionaries to the rest of the world. Abraham was the founding father of Judaism. So far as the scribes and Pharisees are concerned, he's it. And so the Jews erroneously took pride in being Abraham's physical offspring. And the blessings that came to them, they thought, on this account. In fact, Abraham was the first to be identified in Scripture as being saved by faith. And Paul seizes on that fact to show the Galatians that this principle of faith is not new at all, but is in fact as old as God's first dealing with men. Since the Judaizers appealed to Abraham, Paul did so also to prove that Abraham established the principle of faith, not works. Moses, who wrote the law, also wrote that Abraham was blessed, justified on the basis of his hearing of faith. The gospel was not new, nor was the principle of faith. It could be seen all the way back to the covenant with Abraham. Once again, he proved that the Judaizers are wrong. With Abraham, all those who are of the faith, including the Gentiles, are blessed. So those who are saved are saved because of faith. And those who are lost are lost because of their unbelief. A Gentile has absolutely no advantage in becoming a Jew before he becomes a Christian. In fact, by expecting salvation through the rite of circumcision, a person, whether they are a Gentile or a Jew, nullify the grace of God and declare it not in effect and that Christ died needlessly. So how do we bring this all together? As as we conclude this message today, the most important question that we have to ask is a very simple one. Am I of the faith? Do I believe God, even as Abraham did? When God says it, do I believe it? 
Do I live as if I really believe that God is true? And can others see that I'm trusting God with my life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Abraham, a man who stood unwavering on faith, yet not a perfect man, a man who messed up big time in his life. We can identify with that. A man who was capable of making mistakes, a man who was capable of sin, and certainly we identify that as well. Father, I pray for those who are here this morning. Some are here struggling with problems that their neighbors have no idea about. Some are struggling with emotional problems. Some are struggling with spiritual problems. Some are struggling with physical infirmity and others struggling with financial burdens. But whatever we're facing today, you are the God who is able to help us. So, Lord, we turn to you in faith today. If there's one here this morning who has never accepted you as their personal Savior, then I pray that by faith they'll establish that relationship today simply by recognizing that they can't save themselves, that there's nothing they can ever do to make themselves good enough to earn heaven, never good enough to stand before you and hear the phrase, not guilty. And the only way that we'll ever be able to do that is to recognize what Jesus has done on the cross and accept it ourselves as a free gift. So, Lord, if there's one here that has not done that, I pray that you'd help us today. And, Lord, I pray for those of us who are saved that we'd live in the knowledge of that faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Brother Steve's going to be here.